Hello and welcome to In Search of Tracks podcast. We're here. It's another week. It's time to talk about some heavy, heavy stuff. I'm Pete. Bob, I'm sorry. Yo, you sounded like uh, pained by the heavy. I'm kind of pained. Yeah. I mean, like we haven't got heavy in a while, I feel like. Okay. I mean, maybe okay. maybe Soundgarden was a little heavy, but it's a different kind of heavy. D- different kind of heavy. Really a different kind of heavy. Um, looking forward to this week. Um, yeah, I'm excited for this one. Um, I mean, life has also just been kind of heavy, Bob. When I lost my power for like over 24 hours and you start turning into the Joker, it gets weird. <laughs> yeah, we were just <laughs> commenting on this. The idea is what you you put this into the world. What you, you, no power for two hours, you're good, right? Like, yeah, it's like nice. cute. It's like cute and romantic. You know, you right. you you make a drink, you light some candles, you kind of do what you do. Yeah, um, yeah. Maybe maybe you're re- you're disconnecting. You're just like so relaxed. Where where does it feel at twenty four? Twenty four. It felt like I mean, given that it's been so hot over here, it just felt like even though it had only been two days since I showered, it felt like it had been a week. And, you know, you just like your schedule's off because you can't make the coffee and, you know, you can't do the things that you want to do. You can't eat the way you want to eat. You're ordering out. You're doing all that stuff. So like throws off the rhythm, man. It just throws off your momentum. I don't I don't mean to sound like I'm complaining about all this because it's really not, you know, it's not the end of the world. But it's just one of those things where it's like it's uh, it, it throws off your mojo a little bit. No, I'm with it. I'm with it. I've gotten kind of like into some eating habits that are pretty regular. And when I have to break them, I'm bummed. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. So, man, that and then that sticky. Been doing long walks in the morning. Have a, a little baby who is very good to go on walks with. She loves it. Um, so, been going on these long walks. But I get home around lunchtime. And it's been like... Last week, we had one day where it was like, I don't know, we, we leave in the morning, so it's a little cool. It was like 65. It was awesome. Yeah. Feeling good. Today, when we started our walk, it was like 80. By the time I was done, it was in the mid-80s and sticky. So I'm just <laughs> covered in junk, and I just pictured, I was like, oh, not being able to get rid of that feeling or if you're just in your house and you get that feeling, it's the worst. I, I got to get, I got to get, I got to feel good. You got to feel good. You got to feel good. I mean, that's exactly it. Like I've been on a good exercise regimen, like every other day yeah. I'm running. Nice. But it's like, I'm not going to run if I can't shower. <sighs> yo, you know? Yo, I mean. I'm just going to eat more pizza. <laughs> yeah. Dude. All right. So real quick, before we get into the music, you're a pizza fan. So am I. We should do some pizza adventures, by the way. True. You ever eat pizza and then feel like the cheese is coming out of your pores? <laughs> yeah. I kind of have that going on right now. I'm not going to lie. Oh, I mean, it's the reason I didn't stop and get a slice. Um, I, I had pizza for the first time in a few weeks. Uh, I think as we talked about on this podcast, I went on a um, big cross-country road trip with my son. And I don't think... I think I ate pizza once since I had gotten back, and then I had it again just just yesterday. But it had been so long 
That's because a long stretch with no dude, pizza, Bob. It's a long for me. It's crazy. I'm. I really like. You know, I'm not trying. To, I'm not eating a whole pizza every day. But like, <laughs> you grab a slice here. You grab a slice there. You know what I mean? It's a. It's an easy snack, especially in New Jersey. Yeah. Um. And uh, in honor of it came from New Jersey. I try to. I try to snack on the slice. You know. <laughs> sometimes you get a, a travel slice. Sometimes you get a secret slice. It's all good. I, um, I'm a big fan of secret slices. I'm a big fan of secret slices, secret Taco Bell sessions, yo, and it's, and it's secret ice cream sessions. It's, it's the way. It's the way. <laughs> secret slice is the best. Secret Taco Bell. So the only thing about here's here's where I throw my lines. Secret slice. I don't even feel bad. I never feel no, bad about it. No, you just no, grab no. one. You're good. It's yeah. It's, it's all easy. good. Secret Taco Bell. I never feel bad while I'm eating it. And I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, talk. But you know. But if I ate a bunch, sometimes I'm like, eh, maybe I could have eaten something better. But when oh, I'm see, eating that Taco Bell, it feels so good. Secret Taco Bell for me is like a total shame session. Like I'll order a lot. And if and if and if anyone ever comes in that knows me, I'm gonna be so bummed. Yo. <laughs> Yo, is that like not to get into the depression hole, but like I do <laughs> oh, feel like Oh, it's definitely this, depression. It's definitely well, dark I th- days. I think yeah, I think there's a lot of people who just have a dark day secret Taco Bell sesh. It helps. And like, to be honest, I just watched this show on um oh, what was that on? Oh, it was on Apple TV, Apple Plus or whatever. It was called Physical. And the lead actress, the lead actor, uh Rose Byrne. Uh, it plays this married woman, San Diego. Essentially, she she the the premise is she starts the um, mid eighties like dance fitness trend, like VHS uh, cardio kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. But that she had an eating disorder, and so like she whittled away her family's savings by basically like, oh, so yeah, what I do is I wake up, I drive my child to school. Uh, then when I my husband thinks I'm doing school things at this volunteer school, um, I am at a hotel eating a giant bag of hamburgers and then <laughs> throwing them up and like the whole ritual of it. And it was like, oh, oh man. No. But then I'm like, yo, how easy could a dark day secret Taco Bell sesh be confused with somebody who's got like a serious eating disorder? Oh, yeah, sure. No, so, totally. So uh, dark holes there. Um, everybody get a secret slice in front of us. Real quick. To, I just have yes. to say secret secret ice cream. Oh, I only had secret ice cream twice this summer. Oh, okay. And, dude, the first time, friend of the pod, Brian Gorsegner, just walks right up to me <gasps> out of nowhere and he's like, like, are you by yourself? Where's Gina, your wife? <laughs> Second time, my aunt walks up to me out of nowhere and is like, hey, can I get a ride home? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Damn. I mean, I can't, I can't do, I got to do secret ice cream somewhere else, apparently. Yeah, you need it, was, to find- it was both at the same spot. Yeah, man. This is like, this is like the, uh, the like, the, the, the Christmas shopping at the mall three towns over. You know, you yeah. gotta you can't be seeing people when you're doing your secret ice creaming. Yeah, no, I gotta I gotta drive to your part of the shore and go to like right, Carvel yeah. or something. <laughs> Carvel, Jesus. We'll Carvel, get you good ice cream, dude. Carvel's Carvel's good. I gotta I got some beef with ice cream cakes that we'll get to later. But sure. uh today let's get into the music. What are we talking about today, buddy? We're talking about the Melvin's album, uh, a senile animal. Oh, you mean um, the Melvin's 15th album? The 15th. Correct. That's, that's crazy. 
<laughs> yeah. And I think they're probably on their 25th at this point. So yes, I believe um, so. So this one, uh, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, I'm a big Melvin's fan, big, big, big Melvin's fan. Um, we put this album in particular in a few polls that we had done over the last couple of months. Um, I think it lost one of the polls and one, one of another poll, but either way, it seemed like something people were interested in. Um, and I actually, I got hit up by a few people about this album specifically for whatever reason. I'm not sure why. Mm -hmm. Um, but that was kind of the, the impetus for it, the reason for it. So, and I'm happy to talk about this record because my experience with it really is, I got into the Melvins probably like very early 2000s. Okay, yeah. But I didn't really get to see them all that much um, until I actually started seeing them when they did the two albums of the Jello Biafra, which came right before this. Oh, which interesting. Which are not great, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and live, they were not great because Jello Biafra likes to go on and on about you know, whatever he's going on about. Whereas the Melvins are very much like, we want every song to go together and we do not want any breaks and we want it to be a solid set. That's like kind of an experience. Yeah. And, and so Jellaby offers, no, a live show should be half me talking if not more. And then the rest of the time, I guess we can play some songs. Exactly. I will, I'll actually never forget. I saw them at, um, I saw that lineup a few times actually, but I saw it once in at Slim's in San Francisco and Jello, I think three times throughout the whole set did that thing where, you know, he waves at the band and is like, hold up, hold up, hold up. Like oh, as wow. they're going, oh, as wow. they're going to the next song and those dudes were not having it. They were very unhappy with it clearly. So I, I could, I couldn't imagine that going over well with this, with this band or this group of guys. Yeah, it so. was funny though. It's funny in retrospect, but not a surprise that they didn't do a third album with Jello. But um <laughs> but then uh I saw them a lot once they uh found this new lineup, which is basically the band Big Business, who's yep. kind of a cool um I'm not a huge fan of their albums, but really? I think the first Big Business record is really good. I actually was like thinking in my head, I was like, oh, we should we should do that. Yeah. Or or well, yeah, we should we should we should do that record. See, I I won't go too long on this. I think yeah. they're a really interesting band. I think the first two records are really good. I just mm-hmm. I saw them live a few times and they were so heavy live and I I think I saw them live before I heard the record. And then when I heard the record, I wanted it to be so much heavier than it was. I see. So kinda, And as a result, yep. I was just kind of never able to like scratch it never scratched that itch for me but but i think their lineup when they joined the melvins was great and i saw mm-hmm. them a bunch of times they're fantastic and i just like i was already in love with the melvins but this new line this lineup at that point i think it was around 2006 um i like i fell in love all over again so i'm more than happy to talk about this record what about you though what's your uh what's your melvins experience i i don't know anything about this yeah i am like a pure melvin's novice so so i have heard houdini a good handful of times like a good amount like think i bought it on cd in the mid 2000s just as a like okay this is used at amoeba in la 
in Hollywood. And I was like, all right, this is a record I kind of seen for a long time. Let me check it out. I don't even know if I'd say I liked it. Like, I definitely liked a couple songs on it. Um, you may or may not know, but the Melvins broadly fall under the category of screen printing slash warehouse worker um, <laughs> staple. So I definitely heard other Melvins records. But that none sounds of it, right. None of it super stuck to my bones. Um, now, I will say, like, I've heard... Like Houdini, I knew. Like I put it back on. I was listening. To it, I was like, "Oh yeah, I know this song." I actually, what the song I really like. Jeez, what song is it? It's um, Night Goat. I think that's a classic. <laughs> yeah, I really like that song. There's a couple others I really like, but um, the Kiss cover is great on that record. Oh, <laughs> well, how could it not be? You know. Um, yeah. So I uh, yeah, going blind. Right, it's great. Um, I was going through and I was like, okay, that's right. Because listening to this record, I was like, oh, I don't totally remember them sounding like this. And I was like, oh, mm, that's my memory. This is, this is okay. This all makes sense a little bit. Um, I went back and checked out a record I'd never heard by them, which was Ozma, one of their earliest records. Okay. I really vibe on that record. I actually really liked it. Nice. Um, partly yeah, because great. of the brevity and it's really interesting. And so anyways, um, Really interesting band, but how many of their records have I given heavy listens to? Uh, Houdini in this one. Okay. So, never seen them live. Cool. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean... Uh, so, so, here's my question. Because sorry. you're a big fan. <laughs> I've got questions. Okay. Are the Melvins, are the Melvins an important band? Yes, undoubtedly. Are they an influential band? Yes. How big of an influence do they cast? I think they cast a huge influence. It's just they are now firmly in that category of bands who, you know, they have a long track record. They've obviously, like we mentioned, I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I think that they're on their 25th album. No, I think um, that's. I think that's like, you might even be being conservative. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do the count here. So, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, but they have been super active their entire career. I don't think they had more than like a two or three, maybe three year break at any given point. Yeah. Despite having all kinds of lineup changes over the years, um, the only consistent guys in the band have been uh, Dale Buzz. Prover and yeah. Buzz. Um, but they're, they're like, they're your favorite band's favorite band firmly at this point. You, you, you can go see them at like small to mid-sized venues. They tour a ton, like every year, every other year. Um, they'll get name checked here and there, but you know, they're not a band that's selling a ton of records at this point. Um, but you know, I mean, it's, they seem just as excited about playing music as they ever have been, in my opinion. And which is uh, kind of amazing. Yeah, there's like there's there's just a great energy 
to them where, you know, any interview that you read with King Buzzo will say like, you know, we're a contemporary band. Like you come see us and like, we're not just playing throwback. We're not just doing Houdini to do Houdini. Right. You know, right. we're, we're, we're actually, we're really excited about the stuff that we've been writing. And I think that the people coming to see the shows are excited about it. And we're really happy with our current records and this and that. So, I mean, they're, they're like an actively working band and, uh, Definitely important, but I think their importance, I guess, to answer the question more directly, the importance is certainly there, but I think that that might be fading as time goes on. Yeah, I I think they're, they're this, it's so interesting because, yeah, I, I also agree. Yes, they're important. Yes, they're influential. Their influence casts a large shadow however a lot of it might be unseen unless you are actually actively looking for it right because you know it's like this do i think the melvins influenced stuff like faith no more yeah do i think they influenced stuff like tool yes but not in the ways people would notice necessarily right off the bat. And those are big bands. But then they obviously influenced a lot of grunge stuff and were kind of in the water for this. And, and you say grunge, but it's like, I think they largely influenced most aggressive guitar music. No, that's a, hard, that's a big thing to say. I think they have an influence on aggressive guitar music basically at any point after 1995. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you're exactly right. And I mean, I, I think it's it's one of those things where if you, y- you have to dig for it. Like I think Kurt Cobain in that, that journals book oh, that yeah. was released. Oh yeah, yep, yep. Which I, I think is weird, but I read P- portions of it. People make it a pretty big deal of it, yes. <laughs> yeah, but, um, but I remember I read certain portions. Like I just wanted to read like the song lists that were in there. And yep. there were certain, like he would write about bands and I was interested in that. And he wrote about the Melvins a lot. He was like a Melvin super fan. Yep. So it's one of those things where in 2021, do people reference the Melvins all that much? No, not really, probably. But at that point, uh, you know, in the 90s, the 90s grunge thing, like if you listen to Gluey Porch Treatments, Ozma, Bullhead, like any mm-hmm. of the early Melvins records, they were doing pretty heavy stuff that was obviously being copped at that point um, when all the grunge stuff was going on. And I, I guarantee dudes from Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Nirvana, all of those bands cited Melvin's as a reference. 100%. Like first and foremost, probably. Right. So, so it's, it's almost like their influence on music happened really quickly. Mm-hmm. And, and as a result, like the grunge thing happened and then grunge had an influence on, you know, the music that came after that, obviously. And at that point, the Melvins had already kind of been forgotten in that respect, but still have always kind of had their core audience. And they're still involved with dudes like Mike Patton, like uh, Dale and Buzz both, I think are in that band Fantomas, which is like a, you know, Mr. Bungle slash Faith No More side project thing that, that they're involved with. So like there's, there's still, and they still like I know play with Tool sometimes, so it's they're still in that mix, but they're they're definitely like secondary to those bands. Yeah, it's so they're a super fascinating band. Um, 
they so you were dead right they have their 25th album is due out later this year i guess okay um five-legged dog yes there you go a quadruple lp of acoustic songs wow 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 (laughs) i mean so the melvins to me have always had this dense catalog and like i said like i'm can vividly remember because houdini was one of those records right like the album art is indelible you can see it it's got that name if you vaguely like guitar music in the 90s you probably saw this record and um you know i have to say they are not at many points on almost any other record they're not the most easy pill to swallow yeah but i can see intentionally difficult yes oh yes right right like like notably historically so but what's really amazing is when they hit certain when they want to write a song that's accessible and like has like oh we we like this hook and oh i'm gonna do this vocal thing oh that that's that's good like it hits immediately Mm-hmm. So over the course of a discography that's as large as theirs, I'm willing to bet you could put together like a 20 song Melvin's playlist. That's like, here's here's the like, here's the rock charters. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like this is the stuff, but that would almost be betraying who the band is in a way, um, because you have to kind of work through the material and um, and find those moments, and it's all part of the tapestry. So. Um, I thought, yeah, totally. I thought this was an awesome album to do because it hits a lot of the notes that I think the Melvins, if they're not known for, should be known for. Um, And so my last question before we get into it, which I'll have more questions for you, as I often do. Would you identify this as a good entry point to the Melvins, a senile animal? Um, I think it's one of many good entry points. Yeah. I think that given that they have so many albums and such a long history, I mean, they've been a band for almost 40 years now. Yeah. Um, they, there's a lot of different eras. So of this era, which is like the, you know, the two drummer, uh, like, mid mid aughts era i guess like this is this is the best entry point for that that point in time okay cool i like it um so can you give us some background on the band who is this who is this melvin's band where are they from (laughs) um where are they from they're from um was it oh montesino washington um, I thought I was going to say Olympia. I thought they were an Olympia band for some reason. Yo, but I want to see where Montes- Montesino, Montesano. It has to be near Olympia. Okay. I'm sure. I mean, right. Like it's, oh, it's, it's, it's some <laughs> small, 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 small town. Yeah. Okay. You know what? It is. Yeah. It's probably half hour closer to the coast. It's halfway okay. between. It's closer to Aberdeen than Olympia, but it's okay. It's, um, yeah, yeah. It's Eastern Washington coastal almost. So, 
Okay. There they are. That's where they're from. Interesting yeah, area. Yeah, so the, they're from there. They started in, I think, 1983. Which is crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is insane. Um, King Buzzo is the, Buzz Osborne is the only original member. I think they had a drummer. I think his name was Matt Dillard before that. Um, or when they started. And then Dale Crover quickly joined like a year or two after that. And he's been in the band ever since. Uh, great drummer. Um, they started as like kind of like heavy punk, messy vibe. Yeah, I don't even really know how to classify the first, like the very first Melvin's single, um, which is like it was a seven inch with I think six songs on it. Wow, um, it was called Six Songs actually. Okay. Uh, but then the first LP is called Gluey Porch Treatments, and that's where they firmly became kind of a heavy band. It was like really heavy, sludgy stuff. Yes, um, and then they kept that going for a few years, and. From there, it kind of, you know, it changed over time. Like Houdini, that what you were talking about, came out in 1993, and that was on Atlantic Records. So at that point, it was like grunge was happening. You know, they got signed. They were doing big tours. They played with bands like Nine Inch Nails and Kiss, for example. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and then from there, I think once they got off a major label in, I'm looking now, 1996. Yes. Um, they've just kind of been, for lack of a better word, an indie band since. Yep. Um, Amphetamine Rep- Reptile Records and Ipecac have been like their two kind of go-to labels, um, for the most part over the last twenty some odd years. But again, really active band. There's just there's so much there. It's I'm trying to like do like the nutshell version, but yeah, it's okay. Don't don't kill yourself with it because it's. And and so is Houdini's their their. Would you say that's their like biggest moment? So I would say like like at this point, Houdini is always Houdini is the most recognizable. Yes. Okay. Just like the cover art, and you know, I I have to imagine it sold the most copies. Yeah. Just given the fact that it was on Atlantic, and Kurt Cobain, I think is uh is actually um reference as being the producer on that record although uh and i I might be getting some of these details wrong so i'm sorry but buzz in in different interviews over the years has been like yeah we like we we put him on the on the record as the producer but he was like so dope sick at the time that he literally didn't do anything he was like in the studio for like a day or two um so there's a lot there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there as well. You know, I they hear were, a lot of the dope sick stories about Mr. Kurt from that time frame. Right. And there's like, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, there's a lot of rabbit holes you could go down, but Dale Crover oh, yeah. was on Howard Stern in, I think the early two thousands and Howard Stern was grilling him because, you know, he did play Nirvana for about five minutes yeah. And Howard was like, you could have been in Nirvana, man. Like you could have been in this band. And he's like, yeah, but like my band is still together and we're like really successful and having a great time and like everything is good. <laughs> you know, like I'm actually right. like really happy it didn't work out the other way around, you know? Yeah. I have a feeling Dale Crover uh, probably owned the house um, off of the Melvins and is doing just fine and having just a doing good just old fine. time. Yeah. 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 Still touring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah i mean but but all that being said i think if you like fan favorites probably lysol okay um that's one that's that's one that's name checked a lot for like people's favorite album which is interesting because it's like it's like half cover songs and like half noise songs. It's a really interesting record, but it's 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 great. But it's like when you actually look at the track list, it's an interesting favorite. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so listen, if you like this record, go down the rabbit hole. I fully endorse it. If you don't, uh, maybe listen to Lysol. And if you don't like that, then there's probably nothing there for you because those are kind <laughs> of the... Yeah, you're starting the, to get the range at that point. Yeah. Um, okay, so then, I mean, but this record, real quick. So this yeah. record came out in two thousand six. Um, it was again they had been playing with uh, Jello Biafra for the two albums prior to that. He was singing, and they were kind of the backing band. But they had um, a bassist named Kevin Rutmanis, okay, who had played in the band for I think about ten years. And I know that they had a really troublesome relationship with that guy, which I, I think at this point the Melvins have had like 10 bass players. So they like, there's a lot of (laughs) history with trouble, like troubled history with bass players. Um, but I think it was in the recent reissue of this record that they did on Ipecac that there's a little essay from Buzzo and he, he, and again, I might be getting some details here wrong, but he's basically like, I was really worried about the history or the future of the Melvins because like we were all just so down on the band at that point. Right. And then once we found the big business guys, like it totally re-energized the whole project. So I think like that's kind of telling for this record in my opinion, because there is kind of this new energy to it that, that isn't quite there on the, the, the records that like leading up to it. Mm. So, yeah, so it's, it's kind of like it marks like a new era for the Melvins. So That's interesting really cool, record to talk actually. about. Yeah, and it's it's really cool to see that. So so this is kind of like this refresher point. And and for you as a fan, the here's what I'm hearing. The Jellyby Offer records are interesting, far from your favorite, and maybe not something you reach to when you're thinking of the Melvins. Correct. I mean, right. I would argue that every Melvin's record is interesting in its own way, but right. those ones are those ones are very interesting because they were they love the Dead Kennedys apparently, uh, so they say. Yeah, I, and, I, it uh, makes sense, you know. Yeah, for sure, and like, you know, so it's just one of those things like you can tell that they're kind of starstruck and excited to be playing with this dude that they never imagined they'd be playing with, but at the same time, it's like, you know, sometimes that doesn't work out all that well. Yeah, that's fascinating. So, um, so yeah, I think this is a great place to talk about them. Um, certainly pivotal point because you think about this band who, for better or worse, has been releasing records for over 30 years. Um, or, yeah, over 30 years. <laughs> Closing in, not 40, but I think they'll get there. And that's they'll just not... There. That's just not that's not heard of one in this larger genre and two by a band who's been able to sustain a pretty decent level of su- success, you know what I mean? Like they, yeah. What do you think so they they did opening slots on really big tours. Yeah. 
I'm trying to think what where what do you think was the biggest tours they were doing as a headliner? You know, like are we thinking they were playing five thousand cap rooms? Maybe not even. I don't even think that big. Yeah, I but think, I, I, think I, like I honestly twenty five hundred probably is what you're getting. They're, they probably were selling out twenty five hundred cap rooms, but the this was never a band who was like, yeah, we're gonna sell out an arena, you know? Right. Um. So so like, I imagine they were selling out places like fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred, maybe at their cat at their right. peak, and like I've seen them at Webster Hall in New York, for example, and that was fifteen hundred. Yep. I think that fits. So like, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it, it's one of those things like I'm not, I'm not sure on the details, but it's, it's, it, it is always striking to me that when I read about them, like in that, like major label era, yeah, it's always, it's the reference is always them playing with bigger bands. Like it seems like they were taking a lot of chances and just trying to kind of make that leap and it just never quite hit in fact they like had like a notorious like notoriously they were a disliked opener for most bands right yes 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 which which makes sense because when they're doing these opening tours despite the fact that they could be seen as an influence to the band they're opening for the people who are there are not there to see the band for those the Melvin side of the influence per se. They're there to see the much more accessible pieces. So it's really interesting, isn't it? Okay. Yeah, it is. It's, I mean, interesting band for sure. Yeah. So, um, so let's do the track by track because I could gush all night about this. Yeah, I'm, I'm down for it. I like it. All right, let's, let's jump in. Um, first track, Pete, talking Talking horse. Yeah. So to um, me, me, this was yeah, more driving than I expected. Um, overall, and this isn't true on every Melvin's record, but I say with the stuff I've sampled, the vocals, sometimes I think they're good. Sometimes they totally lose me. Mm-hmm. This song, I'm with it. Um, and there's a couple like hot lines, like memorable little phrasings. And I'm like, oh, that's good. And uh, yeah, I, I like the song. I think it's a solid opener. Nice. Yeah, I like this song. It's it's uh it's an interesting opener to me because it feels like so I don't I don't know that I put too fine a point on it, but basically they they 
they have two drummers playing on this record. Um, when they got big business, big business are composed of a bassist and a drummer. So they basically just added a new rhythm section, even yeah. though they already had a drummer. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, um, Jared Warren from big business who's the bass player. He also sings. So it's kind of like, dual slash triple vocals because dale crover does backup vocals sometimes too so there's like everyone's kind of doing there's four people in the band but everybody's doing numerous things um so this one to me like it feels almost off time in a way that's kind of like off-putting um but at the same time it does have that like heavy melvin's feel that you're looking for um so it scratches that itch the vocals feel like really really big yeah um i think probably because they're all kind of harmonizing together yes um and then there's like a faster outro part on this song that i think is awesome so yeah like strong opener strong opener i actually think so something we're going to get to a lot through this record i think is the percussion the drums and uh, vocal parts, and then some of the tempo. So um, did you, like, with the context of them coming off the Jello records, do you think they were consciously like, hey, let's hit them with a Melvin, like, this is a Melvin's opener? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it was really, I don't know, I, actually, I can't say, I don't know if that was conscious, but there's definitely an energy there that was lacking on those records. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... So I think there's, I always think about that as far as it's like a belief that, hey, let's, let's, let me reintroduce myself a little bit. And I, I right. and, and to be honest, for a, any band writing a record that's X amount of records into their career, you have that opportunity with the first song um, is to set the tone, reintroduce. So this is a keeper for me, for sure. Um, Blood Witch, go in. So this song, um, again, I'm sorry, folks. I'm like a hyper nerd about this band. Um, So this song I never liked until I saw them play it live because live they they ramp it up about like two times the speed. So I always felt like this was kind of slow and didn't really work. But when I saw them do it live, it really clicked for me. Um, And they're actually live recordings. I mean, they have a ton of live albums and this is on one of them. But uh at this point, I love this song, but I still, I still like don't go to this version of it, and I still feel like basically the idea that you know if you work songs out live first, sometimes you're able to like create this magic that exists within them that you otherwise wouldn't be able to. Yeah, because if you're if you're if you're just doing it in the studio and you're you aren't able to gauge what's happening in a live setting. Um, you know, something happens when you play it live. So I think that had they played shows prior to recording this record, this song would have sounded different. And I think where they landed on it after, you know, having recorded it and after having toured on it is better than what they, what they have here. But all that being said, it's a, it's a good song. I just, I would go to the live version of it, but it's like, it's really kind of stop starty. Um, there's a, there's like an outro and like middle part that starts around two minutes. And I will say that that part is one of my favorite moments of this record, Mm, despite the fact that I don't like love the song. So 
I think the song is good. There's parts of it I really like and parts of it I'm like, ah. Um, it's one of the recurring themes that I think the Melvins hit on throughout their career is they take a lot of risks with the percussion and the drumming. Yeah. I think that should have been one of my opening questions. Are the Melvins a drummer band? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think they are. I think, I think they they're are. just I think they're just like a musician band. I firmly. think that's true. I think that's really true, but I think they have such alternate takes on what you can do with the percussion. And I think they do a lot of experimentation throughout their records. And I think they do lots of little things that I'm like, oh, that's it's almost like um seeing a cat with cow hooves you're like wait what 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 the hell did i just look at you know like <laughs> i know what a cat is and that's not the cat's feet but i guess those hooves work and all right i mean maybe that's advantageous sometimes uh, i don't know if you needed to like pounce but the point being they take a different slant on things and sometimes i think it really works and sometimes yeah. i don't think it works but it almost always from a listener experience is really interesting and you keep it in that frame because you could get lost if what you expect to happen, especially in the way percussion works with the guitars, you know, like the way the, the rhythm section plays into the guitars um, is really different and quite playful across this record, but it's not, it doesn't go to the expected place often. Mm-hmm. I think that middle section is really good. I think where it starts to feel chunky, I almost like, yo, this is, it gets heavy in a way that I'm like, oh, this is like, okay, what if Black Sabbath started at any point post 1990? Would they be doing something like this? Mm -hmm. You know, where they have this, these big chunkier guitars and they're able to do little sludgy and dark parts um so so i i think this is a good song i'm my ears perked up when you said you really like the live version because i'm that makes me curious to hear what that sounds like yeah yeah i mean and, and just to what you're like to piggyback off what you're saying like i do think they're the two drummer thing I have to imagine is challenging for two people <sighs> that like never did that before. Not that I've ever done it, but you know, I mean, that's something most drummers probably never do, but um, it's uh, you can almost hear them. Sometimes they're working together in this way. That's like magical. And then other times you can really hear that they're still kind of figuring out what's, you know, who's doing what and how to make it work. 100%. So yeah, it, it, it is interesting. Yes. 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 Yeah. Um, okay. So, I mean, I, I yes, that that's going to shape a lot of this conversation is the drumming. So, yeah. Uh, next song, um, which I don't have very much to talk about the drums on, actually. Yeah. A civilized worm. Um, so this this to me, I mean, it kind of in a way feels like a Melvin's classic. It's like mm -hmm. this perfect mix of like heavy, but then also seventies rock. Yes. Um. Again, this one, like around the three minute or four, or I think it's around the four minute mark is one of my favorite moments on the record, but it's not one of my favorite songs. It just like, really? there are these like great buildups that they do that I think are so on point. And then, but like the song itself might not be as strong. <sighs> um, but I think it also like, 
I like how it falls apart at the end and I like the transitions. I think one of the things I'm going to come back to is the transitions on this record more or less are like are great. Oh, interesting. We're going to talk about that. Uh, this is the best song on the record to me and it's not close. Wow. I think the melody is like unique and haunting in this really cool way. How would you describe the vocals on this song? Because I'll give you what I said. And it's true in a lot of Melvin stuff because it's like, I, it's hard to give placement. When I think they're at the best, they're like Danzig E, but no cheese. No, like, no cheese. No yeah. cheese. You know, no, yeah, yeah, oh. no, none no, of that. No, at all. It's yeah. like Danzig E, but minus the Elvis and the Yeehaw kind of shit. Um, this song has a really cool tempo and a slow kind of um, building progression through it. It's long, but this is one of, I think, two longer songs on here that I think they really use the time well. Uh, there's a part, I don't know if it's too, it might be the part you're speaking about, but the four minute part where it feels kind of vaguely spacey mm-hmm. and really alternative mixed into the heavier sound that, that works so well. And yeah, uh, like this is like a if this is the <clears throat> put this song on a mixtape and somebody might go oh whoa what's this band and then get the record and go oh well i like that song but maybe not the rest of the record yeah no i feel that and i i, I think i think you're not alone in that i because i they do play this song live more than other songs on this record it's yeah. just it's never hit me like that that's no interesting. And, and let me be clear i like the rest of the record pretty pretty good but but i could see someone who would hear this and feel like it's an outlier whereas yeah to me i think you can find elements of this elsewhere so um to, but but i will also say this is my favorite song on the record by far wow yeah i really cool. like this song interesting all right uh next song a history of drunks This one to me, like uh, I like some of the riffing. Um, it's a breezy song. Uh, sort of feels like a. I call these connective tissue tracks, songs that are there to kind of connect things. Um, I, I actually think there's hints of that more alternative sounding part in in the DNA on this, especially towards the end. But at its root. Is this just basically a punk song? Like it just—it's not super yeah. fast, but it's a up tempo, you know. Definitely, like the most up tempo that this record gets. Yes, yeah. yes. I mean, there's like there's hand claps in it. <laughs> right, right. So there goes the, there we there we are with percussion. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I mean, this song is fine. Um, it's uh, I I do find it catchy. Like I, yeah. I do like this song. Um, but it's, it's definitely more punk than it, than it is heavy. 
One hundred percent, and like that's where it falls for me. In a, is this a keeper to me? I don't know. I'm not. I'm not bothered by it. But there wasn't a ton to it, if I'm being honest. Yeah, like, I think I think you're right in that. It's like it feels more like a bridge song. Right. Exactly. So you know, it's cool. No, no hate on it, but not uh, not pulling me in either. So um, yeah. I'm not cutting it, but yeah, I'm not going to it either. <sighs> That's a good question. I'm not cutting it, but if I felt like this record was too long, I might cut it. But with with cuts I make, this record's certainly not too long. So History of Drunks is staying. And by the way, I like the symmetry with a later song title, so it works. Um, yeah. The best song title on the record, Rat-Faced Granny. <laughs> um, so this is... I'm going to call it the four song killer combo. Oh, interesting. This is the beginning of the four song killer combo where if they had put this out as like a 10 inch, which if you're a Melvin super fan, they put out a ton of 10 inches. I have a lot of 10 inches and it's only because of the Melvins. (laughs) Um, But this song and the following three songs I think are great, but not only are they great, they, are like built to kind of transition into each other. That's true. Um, so this song in particular is maybe my favorite song up until this point. Um, it's like a super heavy kickoff. Um, the two drummer thing I feel like is super locked in on this song. Um, and although the outro kind of drum part is a little gimmicky, yes. I think they pull it off really well so so um the the drum solos at the end of these songs yeah when i first heard i'm like the hell you guys doing um and then you (laughs) get the context of it's two drummers so it's like all right what the hell are both of y'all doing um but then you see because they do it in this song they do it in the next and then they do it in the next um and even a little bit in the song after that but not in the same way i'd, I'd argue um and maybe that's uh, maybe i'm biased because i'm just like into the drums but drum yeah, man, yeah i mean yeah I feel um, you. you should check out the song spoon man so cool um <laughs> drums uh, when i put it together that they were using the drum solos basically as transition i was like okay okay let me go back and listen and I didn't hear enough in those those transitions to feel really good about it and be like, oh, I see what you did here. Like you did you have two drummers, so you use that as an opportunity to overlay the drum section from this song and the drum section from that song and make this really weird, you know, cacophony of sound and do some shit. So like far be it from me to fucking post produce this record. But <laughs> But I wasn't, I, I, that didn't catch me, um, as an exercise. I like it because it's clever, but it didn't work for me. Um, the, yeah, the vocals here throw me off on this song. The song I think is fine. Doesn't catch me. Um, but the vocals throw me off because even in the mix of, of Melvin's vocal songs that you hear across this record, there's a few different... Well, one, I think there's literally different voices, but two, even not speaking literally, but just how one person can sing differently. Um, 
the the Danzig no cheese vocals I spoke of. We start to get the beard throat Danzig, where it's just <laughs> a little gruffer, and the tone changes, and it comes off kind of like poor to me, and it just loses me. So this is a cut for me. Wow. Yeah, buddy. Damn, dude. You want to do the next one? Dude, I just have to say the transition from Rat-Faced Granny into the next song, The Hawk. Yeah. It gives me chills, dude. Really? I love it. You love it that I, much? I love it so much. Damn. Yeah. Trump man. So, so, so we are like, we, yeah, are, we are on like polar opposites different on planes this here. So I, yeah. because conceptually, like I said, I like the concept. I was like, okay, let me, let me go back and see what I can gnaw on this bone. And it wasn't the transition from Rat Face Granny to the Hawk. I believe it's the transition from <sighs> You've Never Been Right to A History of Bad Men, which we're going to get there. Yeah. It's not even a transition. It just stops. It's just a drum solo at the end of the song. And I'm like, like it stops. There's no, there's no continuity into it. And I'm like, the fuck guys what are we doing here so <laughs> so i will i will go back and listen because uh, if it gives you chills i i will and i'll i'll let you know if i think it's strictly a uh, drummer drummer thing it's not and just keep in mind it's not the gimmicky drum thing at the end of rat face granny it's the energy in which they go into the hawk oh okay okay all right i can see that so mm. yeah so it's so let's so talk know. on the hawk Here's here's what I'll tell you. The song The Hawk, good. Good. Um pretty aggressive. And like here's the thing I think might be lost on a lot of potential fans. For much of this Melvin's record, it it butts right up against uh metal punk hardcore sound but progressed and doing a few different things. Like there's no reason some kid who likes to like who likes heavy music or heavier hardcore couldn't find some value in the Melvins for sure. And I think they're strictly locked in a 30 and up age bracket, which (laughs) is kind of crazy because they should be able to be appreciated. Like anybody who's under the age of 30, who's in a band who might be listening to this, yo, you can rift lift off the Melvins all day and your peers won't know. So go for it. Um, so that's what I was thinking to hear. The vocals, Pete, I complained about them on the last song. Here, it's a little cleaner. Okay. It ends up in a dark place. Wow. Like, there's a, if... So here's the thing. The Melvins predate all these references. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's some influence there. But like, we're not full on into Life of Agony territory. We're getting there a little bit in the strain. Uh, we touch a little bit of the tool and even more a perfect circle vocals. They're rougher than that, but you can hear it when he's straining. And I'm like, oh, no, no it's get rid of it. No, I don't want to hear you get clean at all. So um, oh, I am keeping this song because I think the song itself is strong. But again, I don't need the drum closeout on this one either. Yeah, I mean the proggy like drum outro. That's this. That's where it gets a little sticky for me. Um, right here because we, you you liked it from the last to here, but mostly yeah, but because well, of the ramp up in the hawk. 
exactly like i I, and and even the i mean you have to keep in mind i've been listening to this record for 15 years now but like (laughs) but but the like even when i got it like the fact that it's two drummers doing this like this really interesting drum fill that's like 30 seconds long yeah just on its face it's impressive just to do that because i like I have a hard time imagining myself doing it with like another guy playing next to me. That seems crazy, um, by the way. Yes, it's crazy. I mean, and watching them do it live, it's it just it, you're like, what the actual fuck is going on here? You know, but um, it's really amazing. But uh, on the record, it just it comes off as kind of gimmicky. It's like it's like, I don't know. It, like when I think two drummers, I think I always think you should be doing different things because that's how you make it interesting. And and they actually did that a lot more on the the records that they did t- together after this. Okay. Um, this is really the only one where they're like doing a lot of the same thing, but I think it's because they were just kind of figuring out how to do the thing, right? So, um, I give them a little room on that. And again, like I'm a super fan, so I would. But but yeah, I totally all your criticism, I feel it. I'm just like I'm. I guess I'm just There's like resistance. I'm in, it's okay. Yeah. Well, no, it's not even resistance because I'm like. I I don't disagree with you. I just I've lived with it for so right, long that yes. I'm like at this point of acceptance with it. So and that's where I think I could get to because overall I think this is a strong record. But if I'm picking it apart, like nit- picking the knit, I have a few spots right there. So um, good song. But the vocal thing for the record, I the vocal thing I I never would have put that together because for me it's like. Buzzo's vocals on this sound more like, uh, like '90s era Melvins, right? Which, and, which I'm I'm totally cool with, right? And I think the best version of that is maybe earlier in the record, and then later. Actually, I think I think the next two tracks it just gets there. Um, like it's just certain parts. Like, yes, you're you're not wrong. The vocals could have been bordering up with stuff like Houdini, but I, it just is when they strain out a little bit, I'm like, oh no, it's, it's almost the tone shift throws me. And I was like, oh, this is when things are adjacent. And then the overlap can send you to a place you don't want to be, you know, like, yeah, like, you know, I love, I like sausages, but I don't eat hot dogs. But there's things that are sausages that are really close to hot dogs. And where is my like flip point where it's like, I like this. I like this. I like this. I don't like this. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and that's that's maybe where the vocals got on these these two tracks. Um, but everybody loves sausages, Bob. Yo, do you that's think everyone Melvin, loves sausages? I, I think, right? Bob, that's a Melvin's joke. Is it? Nobody's going to get that. There's, oh, a, there's a Melvin, that. No, there's a Melvin's cover out. There's a Melvin's cover album called Everybody Loves Sausages. Yo, I see. There we go. Uh, <laughs> yo, there's there's Melvin's fans who are applauding and so excited. At this <laughs> I right hope now. So. so. I love that. I hope you're out there. Let me know. Well, uh, though, the f- I think that we're right. Uh, the next song is You've Never Been Right. <laughs> um, so again, I think although the, the proggy drum outro on the Hawk is like a bit much, I think the transition is awesome. Um, the this song kicks off super heavy. Um, there's cool drum breaks and it's uh, a overall just good song. I don't have too much to say about it. I feel like it's the weakest of my favorite four here in a row that I'm talking about, mm-hmm. but um, it's uh, it's a strong song. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's good. I'm not totally pulled in. This is one of the songs where I said there's parts that like they have promised to go like heavy, heavy, but they don't totally. And that's some of the unique percussion stuff that I'm talking about. Like yeah. my expectations weren't there. Um, I really like one thing. This song's not very long. Like I think it yeah. might be like two minutes, maybe 225 sure. with the drum thing. Um, around the minute 30 mark, the way the drum, the percussion is playing with the guitar, with the riffs, like it's really fun. It's actually like this, like it's not jammy, but it's, you can see where it's like, Oh, this is a band who is writing songs that they are, they are, they have fun playing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that was kind of cool. And you can kind of catch that energy. I'm not cutting this song. It's good. It's not totally hitting my expectations, which kind of what I said earlier. Yeah. Okay. There's subversion there because it's intentional. You know what I mean? Right. They're they're clearly like saying, oh yeah, you've probably heard stuff like this a million times, but not when the drums do this. Yeah. Throws you. Um, The history of bad things. This is my favorite song on the record. My second favorite. Nice. Oh, I'm so glad you're on board. I thought we were going to be polar opposites <laughs> on this guy. No, I really like this song. It, it has teeth. The vocals land really well on this one. Um, it, it's kind of... It's more of like a stomping song than that quick pay, pace of a couple of the past, the recent ones on the record. Yeah. The riffs are churning and hard. Uh Overall, I think it's a mean song, and it doesn't overstay its welcome. Like I actually, and to touch on it, I love the outro on this one. Love it. Yeah. I think it's perfect. Yeah, I mean that's so that's where I do think they like found like the yes. magic of like what you can do with two drummers, where it's like you know one dude keeps the beat, the other dude makes a bunch of noise, but they're not doing the same thing at any given point. Um, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, this is like, it's interesting for me listening back to this because I haven't, I hadn't listened to it in a little while. And I forgot that there's a lot more energy on the early half of this. And then the end is just kind of strictly heavy. Yep. Um, which I'll get into it, but I, I don't think that works super well. But that being said, this is my favorite song on the record. It's really heavy. It's the heaviest record up or heaviest song up until this point on the record. Yes. Um, I love the vocal harmonies. 
Um, I love the the buildup of the vocals on the bridge. I love how it like will work itself up into this kind of like lather, but then like just break down and get even heavier at certain points. Um, and then I also actually realized a few weeks ago as I was rewatching the first season of True Detective that this is on that show. So, hey, awesome. Good, uh, good job to whoever did that soundtrack. <laughs> uh, true. Um, <laughs> I wish I wish I'd be like, yeah, I did that actually. Um, <laughs> the Mechanical Bride. Um, so this like takes the heavy from a history of bad men and then takes it even further into heaviosity. Um, it's way more kind of spacious than any song on this record. I feel like they're, they're, they're usually kind of playing together, but there's not like, there's not much space there. Uh, this song has a lot of kind of empty space to it. A lot of like atmospherics that I don't feel like exist in the rest of the record. Ooh, good point. Um, it, which is cool. I mean, I like that element of it. It goes on for a bit too long. Um, that's my only thing. And I think that like, you know, I talked before about the, the four song kind of jam I have going on the last three songs on this record, a history of bad men, yeah. mechanical bride and vast and filthy prison are all about six minutes or more. Yes. Um, and I think you start to like a history of bad men doesn't feel long to me. This song starts to feel kind of long. This song feels long. Um, there's parts of it I like. There's parts that feel twisted and contorted, and it's like this ugly song. Yeah, um, I like the ugliness. Me too. Me too. Uh, I wish it was half the length. Yeah, I th- I like some of the chunkiness to it, where it's kind of again, sort of like um, oh, which song was it? Sort of like. The song I said that was kind of stomping, um, sort of like, uh, like that. It kind of chunks along. It's riff heavy and plods plodding. And I don't say that in a derogatory way, in a negative way. I like all those elements. I just it just drags it a little bit. That's the yeah. only major problem with the mechanical pride. Yeah. Um. The last song, and I have some interesting thoughts about this, A Vast Filthy Prison. You want to go in? You want me to? I'll go in. Um, I like the melody a lot. This is what I think of as the weird, quiet alt song, but without dwelling into that consciously. Like, <laughs> this is the song on probably 100, like, heavier or aggressive alt grunge metal stoner rock records where they try to go like weird quiet Uh uh-huh and don't pull it off yeah but i think the melvins actually pull it off here like i feel like this is a song that the smashing pumpkins tried to write like 400 times and failed every time (laughs) um like deep cut album tracks but i i think that they pulled it off that said i think it's just a good song but they executed it exactly what right. You know, like I, I found myself into it, thought it worked well as a closer. I was like, 
all right, I'm satisfied with this song. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, at this point, honestly, I realized listening to that full album, which is one of those things that like we've mentioned before, but like, I love these exercises because I get to revisit these records and really think about them. I realized when I was listening to this album a lot, when it came out, I must've turned it off before this song because I just wasn't that interested at this point because I, this song like felt newish to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like, again, I, I think this record is really strong on transitions and I think the transition from mechanical bride to this song is great. Um, it's like spacious. It's almost soundtracky. Oh yeah. Um, I like how it picks up at the end and gets a little proggy with like the time changes that are going on. The outro is kind of cool, but like, I don't like how it actually ends at the end. It kind of just like falls apart in this anticlimactic way. Um, that I don't feel like is like a super strong end to the record, but I feel what you're saying. I actually, I agree with you for the most part. Um, I just, I don't know. I mean, this song, like, I think it's because of where it falls on the album that mm. it's less effective to me. I just wish they had broken up kind of these longer, heavier songs or more atmospheric songs Okay. with the kind of shorter, you know, more energetic songs that they had. But maybe that would have melt- made the record feel, feel kind of choppy. I'm not sure. Um, but I think it's because of where this falls that it doesn't hit me as hard. So... It's it's not a cut, but like it might be a cut. I'm yeah. not sure. I I think it's fine. I could cut it. I think I'd cut Mechanical Bride and leave it. But I agree. Oh, I think the placement is there. I'm not sure. You know, like I like the ugliness of Mechanical Bride. So um, overall, I was pretty impressed. I was taken with a couple songs, like two songs that I felt were high level. Um, a, a grip of songs that I thought were good, and then a couple songs I'm like, meh, not feeling these for one reason or another. Right. Um, yeah. Pete, I got to ask you some questions here. Okay. Is this still relevant? Uh, it's relevant if you're a Melvin's fan. It's not super relevant to what's happening in music. music? Yeah, but like I said. People who like heavy riffs go go riff shopping on this record. Um, yeah, who is it for? Longtime Melvin fans, new Melvin fans, and people who like heavy riffs. Yeah, agreed. I mean, and and just uh, to the to the last question, real quick. I I do think that they're doing things on this record that still sound interesting despite the fact that it came out 15 years ago now and that it was their 15th album. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, like there's, there's a lot happening here and there's a lot of creativity. And like you said, I mean, there are riffs on riffs to, to steal from if you're interested. Um, but it's just, it's one of those things where like we said before, like maybe a musician's band question mark. I don't know. Like, like maybe it's just something that musicians can go to for influence but and it's relevant in that way but relevant in terms of like the larger kind of music like what's happening yeah it's not super relevant i think it aged so well though i think yeah yeah in terms of this it still still sounds sounds great great. all right getting into it pete i want to i want to rate i'm going to rate this record 
Okay. Let's think about factors and ratings. Um, is it too <laughs> long? Does it drag uh, a little all? too long? It drags a little bit. Just a little bit. Honestly, just, just a, a little, little bit. bit. Yeah. I think you cut. You cut six minutes. You cut 10 minutes. Maybe it's, it's, it's good. Perfect. Exactly. Um, album flow. Does it feel disjointed or slapped together at all? Uh, for the most part, no. Although I feel like the end, it just gets a little bit much with like the longer songs all, all bunched together. Agree. Think the flow is fine, but not exceptional. It's not disjointed though. Like this is one of those things no. where it's like we've talked about some records that have exceptional flow, some that we <laughs> tear up and rearrange, um, some that we think sound really disjointed. This one's fine. Yeah. Quality of the songs and lyrics. Memorable songs? Memorable songs. Couple at least. And I wouldn't compare them to contemporaries because I don't know if the Melvins truly have contemporaries, but to compare them to the Melvins catalog that limited as I am familiar, I think there's at least a few songs on this that stand the test of time. Yeah, no, there are some Melvin's classics on this one at this point, I think. So, and yeah, like who are their contemporaries at this point? I don't, I don't really know, but, um, it's, uh, it's an interesting kind of spot in their career. So yeah. Um, presentation, the artwork and the, the, yeah, I guess it's just the artwork. Um, good. Did you know the artwork was done? The layout was done by, uh, King Buzzo's wife, Mackie. I did. Mackie Osborne, who actually does all the tool artwork at this point, too. She does a lot of different stuff. Did you know she did the artwork for Circle Jerks Group Sex? Wow. I did not know that. Kind of sick. Really? Yeah, right? Yeah. Wow. Stone Cold Classic. It blew my mind. I know. Check it. Um, like the cover art. Works well. Um, some, some Melvin's record covers are really good. Some are Bah. some are like, okay, I see what you're doing here. You have a little theme going for this set of records. This one's cool on a standalone kind of way. Okay. I hate the artwork. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. I like, I actually, I, I love certain Melvin's artwork so much. And I feel like they had such kind of impactful cover covers for their albums for so long mm -hmm. that when they, they hit a certain point, and honestly, like I like a lot of the Mackie stuff that I've seen, but I don't like what Mackie does with the Melvins all that much. Okay. Um, and this one, like it just, I don't know. I don't know what it is about this, but like, I just, I don't like it at all. Honestly. That's fascinating. I love it. Love yeah. to hear it. Okay. Um, let's see. I want to, I'm sending you something right now. Let me see here. Hold on. Okay. Um, is what is your favorite Malvin's album cover? Um, God, they have so many. <laughs> I have to look. <laughs> um, I mean, I I do think I think the Houdini artwork is classic. I and I I just think it's great. So I, I think love it's it. classic for sure. I, I don't. So there's part of me that really likes it, and part of me that's like, it's sort of inspired a style of art in the '90s that I largely dislike. Sure. Um, but but I do like that one. Did you receive the photo I sent you? I did. So that is oh, a listener of the podcast and friend, Knox, who sings in the band Enforced. That is wow. his Civilized Worm 
uh, Melvin's tattoo. Dude, that is what's up. Cool, cool, super unique tattoo. Uh, I didn't tell him that we were doing this record on the episode, so quick shout out to Knox. Cool, cool. Oh, tattoo. I love it. Love well it. Well played. Um, we got it. We should have had him on to talk about this. Maybe, record. maybe sure we'll have a follow up. Yeah, maybe we'll have yeah, a follow up. Yeah, that'd be fun. Um, what, all right. So, favorite artwork though? I mean, like, I I do I love the major label era. I think I think the Stoner Witch cover cover art is awesome. I think the Stag cover art is awesome. I think the Lysol cover art is awesome. I love the cover to Eggnog. Um, what about working with God? But that's what I'm saying. Literally like, awful. Like, yeah, recent Melvin's artwork is like terrible. So here's the thing about a senile animal to me is that it almost feels like a not homage, but a wink and a nod at the Stoner Witch cover art. Okay. You know what I mean? It's like a pattern with image and vaguely kind of like winking at that. Maybe I'm totally off, but I like that. I think those two work together. Um, Lysol, I love that art. Um, I like the I, I that. like the Ozma art because it's so weird. And it's feels, so weird. Feels very uh, fairy dust album cover yeah. to me. So um, I think the last one, and I think Mackie did this one too. But the last one that I I really liked was uh, Hostile Ambient Takeover. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I don't know, but I mean, and I, again, like I like Mackie's work overall, but like for whatever reason, the stuff she does with the Melvins, it feels like. Not this record, but a lot of it just feels like really hot topicy almost, which I know is like a weird, like obviously two thousands reference, but yes. it's just it's it's just like a lot of like like corny skulls and stuff that I just don't think really fit. I don't know. Yeah, Not a fan. yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah, yeah. I get you. Um, both bases loaded in a walk with love and death kind of. Yeah not 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 my reach for these the album art I'm looking at. Um, all of that said, Pete, we rate records between one and five stars. What are you rating a senile a- animal? Um, I think I'm going to give it a three stars. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I And just know that going in, I thought I was giving this a four. Interesting. Okay. And listening to it, I'm like... It's a little disjointed. Again, like that four song combo. You really like that. I think yep. is the strongest bit on the record. And that's like a five. But the overall record does not get a five. I think it gets a three. Yeah, for me, um, Civilized Warm and History of Bad Men are the highlights of the record. Um, I think I'm giving this a three as well. I consider giving it a 2.5. Um, but I think it's better than 50%. It's not It's not a pitch down the middle. And it's the strength of a couple songs and the promise of others. And, and just in terms of the rating, this record would and is going to lead me to check out more Melvins. So that's a good cool. sign, right? You know what I mean? Like, um, Yeah, good sign. I, I don't know if I would rate it over Houdini if I give Houdini uh, the real, real listen in 2021. But on on from Jump, on, on my initial read, I'm like, oh, this is a pretty good record. And the highlights, the highs are, are pretty high. So um, if I can find some other good tracks, this was a great example to me of the In Search of Tracks ethos because to me, I found two tracks. I think Civilized Worm 
and History of Bad Men are tracks. So there you go. Um, That's what's up. Did you? Uh, but the final question, Bob, is: Are you going to add this record to your personal collection? Are you going to buy this record? You know what, Pete? Hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> So one, I don't own any other Melvin's records. Do I open that door? Two, is this an expensive record? Three, is this a record I could buy used and it's like chill? You know what I mean? Like I'm not raking myself over the coals. Yeah. Um, so my long answer is, if I saw this used for, and I'll, I'll be even, if I saw this available for under 20 bucks, I'd buy it, especially in, in front of me. Um, let's see here. Two, two, two. Yeah, I think I could get this. Yeah, I'll buy this. Yes, I will add this record to my collection. Cool. Cool looking record. You already own it. Yeah, I own numerous copies. Do you? What, what do we got yeah, going I mean, on? I'm, I'm, I'm a Melvin's collector crazy person really yo and that's a real ass collector too yeah it's 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 uh it's not something i'm willing to talk about on the podcast because i'm just gonna embarrass myself so yeah just if if you know anything about melvin's collectors just you know you're there all right yo uh for those who know thank you for checking this out later (laughs) 